0: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another installment of my first season. My guest today worked for two seasons in Club Med, and his first season was in Club Med Sandpiper in 1993 as a bargio. Before Club Med, he attended Emory University in Atlanta and has a degree in international relations and affairs with a minor in Spanish. He drove from Atlanta to Miami for his interview, and he was the only one wearing a suit. He still got the job, though. Don't worry. And how about this? This next phrase has never been uttered in over three years of my first season. After Club Med, he moved to Asia and, quote, taught Spanish to Japanese salsa dancers, end quote. Who boy, there's got to be a story there somewhere. From Boston, now living in Key Biscayne, Florida, give it up for Joshua Bernstein. Hey, Joshua, how are you, sir?
1: Hey, how are you today?
0: Good, good. I I almost want to jump right now into the, you know, you taught Spanish, Japanese salsa dancers, but we're going to leave that nugget till the end, okay?
1: Sounds good.
0: Okay. So how are you doing? You sitting
1: comfortably? I am. Thank you.
0: Okay. So as we said in your intro, you attended Emory University, and I think it was there that a, a friend of a, a frat brother had worked in Club med, right? He was a tennis Jew?
1: That's exactly right. Uh, one of the friends, one of my fraternity brothers came to visit on spring break, and started sharing stories of this amazing place that he had worked. And I I had heard of Club Med, never had been to one. And at the end of that week, hanging out with that friend, I just it had piqued my curiosity tremendously. So during college, I actually ran a business that supplied bartenders to all kinds of events and places like Six Flags and hotels and things like that. So when he told me there was an opportunity to actually keep working as a bartender, but go do it in paradise, that was too much to resist.
0: You thought you were like Tom Cruise in Cocktail or something?
1: That's what I was thinking. I think that was the image that was stuck in my head.
0: Yeah, all of ours. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you say you supplied bars with bar pe- bartenders, does that mean you you had to interview people and then test their ability?
1: Absolutely, yeah. So I, I would basically find out uh, and develop relationships with the various entertainment venues in and around Atlanta where I was at school Uh, And when they would have an event where they needed to staff it up with bartenders, uh, that was my job to kind of fill that void. So, yeah, I ended up hiring most people uh, from my school itself. Um, So people I had gotten to know personally, a lot of them worked at the local bars and restaurants as well, but had to hire a bunch of people, you know, that weren't at the school. And uh, so I had kind of been through the process they were about to put me through. when I went down for the interview at Club Med. Although the only major difference being, uh, I really just didn't know much about Clubbed when I went down to talk to them in Miami.
0: Yeah, and like I said, you you drove. Okay, not many not many people drive, and you did this on your own dime. And can I ask you why you wore a suit?
1: Yeah, I just had always been in the position where you went to an interview in a suit. That's just kind of what I did. So all throughout university, I was working. I stayed in Atlanta, you know, most of the summers working internships and jobs. And that was just, in my mind, interview equaled suit. You show up, you know, looking your best. Uh, And so so I did. And uh, some of the responses were kind of funny when I walked into the office there. As you have pointed out, uh, I may be one of the few or only people that didn't get the memo before the interview that that wasn't the uh the dress code. Yes, and I'm I'm guessing you were the only one there? Yes, wearing a suit? Absolutely.
0: Yes. Well, no, you're you're right because, you know, I was uh, I was an investment banker in Westmount, Quebec when I applied and you yeah, sure my natural thing was to wear a suit, but the guy that helped me apply said whatever you do, Greg, don't wear a suit. Okay, so so yeah, but yeah, like you say, didn't get the memo, but you still got the job. Now, when you had your interview, did they even quiz you about? Like if you are a bartender, did they ask you how to make a Singapore sling or a Long Island iced tea?
1: Yeah, no specific drink questions. It was, uh, I guess at that time, seemed more just uh, kind of a culture fit. I wanted to make sure that I could communicate with people and was easygoing. And uh, of course, you know, knew my way around the bar, which I think that had already, that box had been checked by the fact that I had been running this company for several years already. So uh, it really wasn't much of an interview uh, in terms of asking anything, you know, particularly challenging. Did you ask questions? You know, I don't remember.
0: Okay, so it, you didn't you didn't ask like, do I have to do crazy signs four times a day? Or
1: I, I didn't even whatever. know what crazy signs were at the time. <laughs> okay. That was that was all <laughs> stuff that I would just be thrown into, you know, when I when I got that first plane ticket to go down to Sandpiper.
0: Do you recall? Uh, it's, it's a long time ago. Do you recall who did your interview? i do not okay now how long after the interview did you get a call was it days
1: weeks months so it was pretty quickly after the interview that i got a call and it will escape me in terms of the exact village but i got very quickly offered uh, a village like within two weeks maybe after the interview but i actually was not ready yet to go work for Club Med. So I declined that first invitation. Um, And then it was in the early fall uh, of that same year. So I graduated in May timeframe. Then it was early fall that they came back and gave me the offer to go to Sandpiper, which was the one that I decided to do first.
0: Yes. And unlike uh, Tom Cruise's character in cocktail, he went to the Caribbean. Now, I always like to ask, you know, first season American geos who go to Sandpiper, were you like thinking, huh, where's Sandpiper? Uh, Were you dreaming of the Caribbean?
1: Yes, I certainly had that uh, cocktail in my mind and ended up, you know, showing up as what I describe as a northeastern country club stuck on a river in Florida. (laughs) <laughs> and uh but i'll tell you it could not have been a better place to start off at club med for a couple of reasons number one i am a fanatic about golf so to go work at a place that had two full golf courses on property and a third one right out the front door uh, that was just like the the perfect place uh, to start in club med and then the the people that happened to be involved there at the time was just another blessing you know i was down there had the pleasure where Patrick Calvé was the chef de village and then Kevin bat was making his transition from chef to sports into chef de village. So I just got really lucky both in terms of the the place and then the the timing who was there, you know, at that time during that first season.
0: You remember arriving your first day or first
1: week? Uh, I certainly do. Yeah, I I certainly remember, you know, that arrival and, uh, you know, walking into, uh, again, I I had no idea what to expect, really, in terms of the environment. So it was, it was fascinating, right, to walk into this place, just bustling with activity and getting shown around and uh, getting thrown in in the room, stuck back in the end of the village back where the, the geo quarters were at the time. I don't know, uh, before they closed recently, if they stayed in the same place over the years. But uh, yeah, it was great. I mean, it was fascinating just to get thrown into that environment and then very quickly just to try to start swimming and, and figure out the lay of the land.
0: Now, when you finally met your chief of bar, did this person quiz you if you knew how to make drinks or not? Or are they just everyone still assumes that, oh, he said he was a bar geo, so he is one.
1: It, exactly. Yeah, you were just, you know, here, go do this, you know, get in line and and, and help out and pitch in. So there, were, there was no kind of questioning or... or additional interviewing at the time. It was more just like, hey, it's happy hour, it's packed, you know, <laughs> start doing stuff and, and then we'll figure it out. And, and the chef de bar, when I first arrived, was a gentleman by the name of Alan who then a couple of months after I left ended up going over to Ibiza, I believe was the village over there. So after a couple of months in Sandpiper, uh, he asked me if I wanted to go join him in Ibiza. But uh, at that point in time, I really loved Sandpiper. So I had turned that one down. But it, as you know, the, the teams are, are great, right? They welcome new people in. People show you the ropes. Maybe they try to take advantage a little bit with some pranks. Uh, for me, that showed up in the form of village village i remember clearly one of the golf geos named pierre told me you know oh, you're in the bar you don't have to show up for village village you guys don't have to do that so of course i skipped to that the first day and i believe it was kevin bat that <laughs> took me aside and chewed me out for a little while after that wait i'm, I'm confused what 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 happened like you you did do village village or you did it i was told i didn't have to show oh, up oh okay but you so- did <laughs> uh, but but I did yeah so I just I just stayed in my room I just skipped my first assigned village village and just bailed <laughs> okay. on it
0: and, the, well, and well, you that know didn't what? go over I, so well I would have thought I could have sworn Bargios didn't didn't have to do village village either you know I mean you might not be wrong here because <laughs> I know it was the sports team and animation but uh, yeah I thought I, th- I thought you guys would have been exempt wow okay.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. As you know, the, the bar geo has a, a unique, I would say, life inside of the club, because oftentimes the hours are reversed, right? When when the rest of the club is off or doing other things, you know, we're, we're working. And then when the rest of the club and the geos are off doing their daily activities and their services, oftentimes the bar geos have some time off. So it, it's an interesting thing at first to figure out, yeah, what am I supposed to do here? versus when is it okay to just kind of be off and go do my own thing in and around the village.
0: Okay, so Tom Cruise's character goes to Jamaica. He's making his cocktails. Now, did you have a signature cocktail at all? Or Was it a drink that you like to make?
1: At that time, uh, there wasn't at Sandpiper, no. But, okay. Uh, I'll tell you, the, the demand was was greatest, actually, for cappuccinos. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. We happened to be as, you know, with Sandpiper, you get a tremendous crowd, both from New York as well as from Europe. Uh, and you get most of the kind of uh, the high level executives from Club Med tended to come pretty frequently as well. So it was funny. In many ways, it was strange in the sense that the bar was extremely busy, oftentimes in the mornings. Right. Doing that of uh, knocking out the old espresso machine and the cappuccinos. Did you ever get asked to make a drink
0: by a GM that you that you didn't know that it stumped you?
1: I, I'm sure it happened in those scenarios. I just asked them what they want. I'm sure it happened. I don't remember any particular incident that that jumps out at me.
0: How long roughly did you stay in Sandpiper? So I was there for about 10 months. Oh, 10 months. OK.
1: And you arrived uh, at what point in '93? Do you recall? So I arrived in the fall of '93. I'm I'm thinking it was probably around September. Okay, '93. So, so you also had your first Christmas and New Year's then at Yep, Sandpaper. first Christmas and first New Year's at that point in time. And as as you said earlier, was, Saint was just it was an amazing place at that time. Again, I understand for people who had either grown up at Clement or really had some image in their minds, Sandpiper, you know, was not that. It wasn't this crazy singles village, but I loved it, especially because I was able to get really close with Jack England. Did you have the pleasure to meet Jack? That name sounds familiar. Is he the yoga guy? Yes. So Jack at that time was probably in his mid to late seventies. And uh, for the people who haven't had the experience of Jack England, may he rest in peace. You know, imagine walking in for lunch and getting seated at a table. And all of a sudden the guy next to you just starts doing a headstand on the lunch table. Right. And then boarding <laughs> oh, really? into all the yoga poses and you strike up a conversation. And then later on, there's a water skiing show. And that same guy happens to be, you know, headstand water skiing out in the middle of the St. Lucy river. And again, late seventies at this time, but he was just such a, a phenomenal individual in the mornings. He used to teach a yoga class in the evenings, he used to teach a reflexology massage class. So Jack, Jack to me was, you know, such an incredible mentor. And I feel really grateful to have had that time with him. Just learned so many things just about his perspective on life, about these, these kind of things that now I would say have come into vogue. You know, this is this is the early 90s, and he's talking about yoga and meditation and reflexology and how the human body kind of uh, works on a level uh, outside of say, traditional medicine and way ahead of his time. So it was a really cool experience to be able to do that with him.
0: Did you say he did handstands
1: on the table in the restaurant? On the table and anywhere, Greg. I mean, this is Jack had a no a shortage of healthy ego. Uh, he loved to be the center of attention. And, you know, what I think was so interesting is, he wasn't this lifelong you know practitioner of yoga he had actually had a really bad airplane accident in his 50s um and it was really that recovery of from that accident that led him down the paths of all these more alternative wellness types of things so so by the time I showed up in sampaper yeah I mean that was a, a weekly thing that the room would be packed and Jack would just go into something wherever he would be doing you know some kind of yoga pose or headstand or handstand or water skiing tricks I mean Pretty amazing guy.
0: Well, I think I've seen photos of him. Was it? Did he also do splits, like oh, side yeah. splits? Okay, yep, absolutely. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, I've seen a lot of photos of him. Cool guy. Interesting. Now, what have you? What do you remember about your first season? Like, I don't want to move on to playa unless we we covered everything on on Sandpiper. Like,
1: you no, in... Sandpiper was amazing. So again, so as a bar geo, you know, my days were largely free. So a typical day for me would be to get up at six in the morning and go play around to golf with one of the GMs that were in town. And as I mentioned earlier, it was kind of like this, you know, northeast country club on a river in Florida. So we would get a lot of people coming in monthly or every six weeks from New York from the northeast, uh, golf fanatics, and and this was the, of course, the winter time for the northeast. So you know, I had this regular crew of guests that would come in and visit and we would just hop out on the golf course. So I would spend probably four to six hours a day playing golf, come back in, do the lunchtime, you know, crazy signs, sun salutation, things like that. Um, And then we had also a a golf cart uh, to sell beer and drinks. So I typically head back on the golf course for a couple of hours in the afternoon. Um, And I'd use that time again, just to go meet a bunch of the GMs, sell some drinks and would always have my trustees French book on my seat so I could learn how to speak the language and ideally understand a little bit more of the announcements that at that time were done typically in English and French. So, so Sandpaper was amazing, you know, in that regard. And then the, the people were incredible. Again, I mean, Patrick Calvet, if you ever had the pleasure of working with him, just a phenomenal person overall uh, and an amazing chef de village. Same thing with, with Kevin Bott, and then just the, the rest of the G.O. team was just a really good group of people, both uh, behind the bar and and then the rest of the services. So it was Sandpiper for me was uh, 10 months uh, in an incredible kind of situation, you know, and many people might say, well, you didn't you don't know what you don't know. Meaning, no, it wasn't this Caribbean, you know, Club Med experience. Uh, more on that later when we talk about Playa Blanca. But overall, the, the experience uh, at Sandpiper was really, it was really just phenomenal. And then if anyone spent downtime there, they also know how great the river is. So if, for people who loved you know, the sports on the river, be it water skiing or hobie catting, uh, again, as a bar GO, I really didn't have to come in and work until five or six at night. So I would spend most afternoons on the water, uh, water skiing. Um, I don't know if you ever met Carlos, who was the head of the water sports at the time. Great guy from Mexico. Or Hobie catting. And and where you get a lot of storms that roll in that St. Lucie River, the Hobie catting right before the storms rolling in was amazing. So it was just an incredible, incredible 10 months to spend down there.
0: Did you meet any like famous golfers? Did, Did any of them come through Sandpiper at all?
1: Uh, professional golfers. No, of course I, so I, I was, uh, an unofficial golf go. So every Wednesday we would have the pro-am event too. And there weren't enough pros that were club med GOs. So I would, I would go play with them as one of the pros each week. So there were, there were some really good quality go's that were golfers. I don't think any of them were tour players. Um, but no, we never had any, you know, PGA pros come through while I was there.
0: Okay. And like Jason, can you quote from the movie Caddyshack?
1: (laughs) Be the ball, Danny. Okay. Be the ball.
0: Okay. (laughs) Best golf movie ever.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and I'll tell you, some of you know, you remember the scene in Caddyshack where he's out in this torrential storm, right? Yes, yes. I don't think I don't think the heavy
0: stuff's gonna come down for another hour. Yeah. Exactly.
1: (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, we had some storms roll through like that, and the course would be closed. But we would have some guests visiting from Japan and these were high level guests, you know, the CEO of Sony, you know, the, the head of this company or that. And and they would go out and play in those torrential downpours. They, they wouldn't be able to take the carts. They'd have to roll up their pants and trudge through the water. And, and mind you, if you remember, if you've been to Sandpiper, the first hole of the golf course at Sandpiper is packed with alligators. I mean, dozens at any given time, both in the water and around the first green. So these guys would get out from Japan and they would just go at it in the midst of these Caddyshack type storms. And uh, they weren't going to miss, you know, around the golf, just uh, given a little tornado or whatever else might be rolling through.
0: Nice. All right, sir. Now, before Playa, though, I think you took a little break. Is it true you moved to Costa Rica, Colombia and Peru?
1: That's right. Yeah. So it. Towards the end of my time at Sandpiper, uh, I had the pleasure of, of meeting Terry Drummy, who had come and spent some time with us there. So, so Terry had offered me Playa, which, of course, I jumped at that opportunity. Um, and in the interim, between the end of the time working at Sandpiper and the opening of the, the village in Playa, yeah, I went down, I lived in primarily in Costa Rica, just outside of San Jose, and then some places on the west coast of the country. Um, and then from a home base in Costa Rica, I'd go spend... Couple of weeks at a time in various countries. So I spent some time in in Colombia exploring around, and also in Peru. And is it as beautiful as it looks? Peru? Well, all
0: of them. I, didn't, uh, I, had, I don't so, think I've been to either. So, but they all look yeah. So I beautiful. I would
1: I would highly recommend all three. So Costa Rica has tremendous natural beauty. Uh, on the west coast, you have more of a Pacific Ocean kind of feel with some great surfing. On the east coast, you have more of a Caribbean style feel. With some crystal clear water some black sand beaches for anyone who loves hiking in the outdoors be it river rafting you know hiking through the forest canopies going to see the tortoises lay there it's really it's really an amazing country and it what's nice about it is it's so small you can get across the whole country in about six hours so you can really experience a lot of things uh, in a very short period of time so costa rica Couldn't recommend it more highly. Colombia, again, amazing kind of place. I spent some time down in Cali, uh, visiting some friends down there, which Cali is, again, a a beautiful city, especially when you get a little bit outside the city, uh, nestled into the Andes Mountains. Really an amazing place, amazing people there. And then if you go up to the north of the country into places like Cartagena, the the old city of Cartagena is, is a place people should absolutely visit once in their life. And then there's an island called San Andres, which is actually off of the coast of Costa Rica, but it's a Colombian island. Um, It's just an amazing tropical paradise. Again, where the it's it's a tiny little island. You can scooter around it in about two hours. And the external rim that you scoot around again, you know, feels like a a beachy island. And the interior of the island feels like you're in the heart of Jamaica. So really, really cool place there. And then of course for Peru. To anyone who might have interest in going there, that was really more out of interest, you know, in the ancient cultures. So a real desire to go see Cusco and Machu Picchu and the Nazca lines. And Peru does not disappoint. It's physically beautiful. And these historical locations are just, I mean, they're really out of this world. It's hard to describe in words.
0: I suppose you're your Spanish improve greatly too, because you get sent to Playa Blanca for the 94-95 winter season. And you got to practice some more. You go from a family resort to a singles resort. Any culture shock doing that?
1: Yeah, I mean, this the singles resort was, again, what the image, you know, once I had learned about Club Med or you watch cocktail in the movie or whatever it might be, you know, Playa Blanca was, I think it's called a stereotypical, call it singles resort. I know you spent a season, at least one season there, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, as you know, Playa Blanca is just a magical village, right? You're isolated yep. from from civilization, essentially. The village itself was so cool in the way that it was structured, with the central building and then those tremendous staircases leading up to all these quirky kinds of rooms and the cove there. So, uh, I am mean, Playa Blanca to me it was heaven on earth. It, it was just such an amazing place to spend six months. And we just happen to get, you know, I don't know if everyone has this experience. I, I get the sense the more geos I talk to a lot of people do, but you end up feeling like, oh, my God, we've got the dream team here. We've got the all star team uh, of G.O.s for this season. And, and when those things come together, an amazing village with an amazing team, uh, it, it really is one of those things, I think, that keeps people hooked and remembering it for the rest of their lives. Let's talk a little bit about that team. You have Kenton Smith is your chief of village, correct? That's right. Kenton was the chef de village. And I know you've spoken with some of the other ones. So there was Jason Stewart, and now Kristen Stewart as well. Terry Herbert, which a lot of people in the club know as Terry Aerobics, uh, was there with us. We've got Hector Zieres, Samardo Klein, who are in the, I don't even know what you call it, the communications room. This, that basically At yeah. that point in time, right? you were just looking for a lifeline from the outside world. The only way it was going to come was in the form of a fax right yeah so the, that's right those guys commandeer the uh, the communications room and then i know you and i both share a friend with tim ormandy uh, yes down in the bar i don't know did you ever meet neil frazier also he was the the chef de bar for that no, season. i, I don't
0: think so i mean i know you
1: had you had big ed there as well correct yep big ed was there running water aerobics and land sports and then you know other great people i don't know if you you ever met sharon spicer Uh, who was down there, or Lou, and it was just a great group of people, both at the GO level, and then the local staff were out of this world. Do you remember a guy by chance named Chano? Chano, I do remember, yes. Yeah, like so amazing, just Chano and Maria Consuela, and just it was just an incredible group of people, both from the local team, as well as the GO team. And then on the GM side of the equation, as you know, at Playa, it was really great, right? You get these Like weekly charters coming in oftentimes from Montreal, the tremendous Canadian crew coming in there. A lot of people coming down from California Uh, and and a lot of people coming up. You know, we had a big crowds coming in uh, from Brazil, from Argentina, Uh, a lot of people coming from Mexico City. So it was a great mix of people coming out to the village as well. Well, you mentioned
0: GMs. Let's talk about the king of them all at that village. Was Uncle Larry there when you were there?
1: (laughs) Tio Lencho. Yes. Okay. Uh, Uncle give me, a, give me an uh,
0: give me an appropriate Uncle Larry story if, if you're if you're uh, able. Yeah, I it's might a, have to filter okay. that down to find the yeah, appropriate yeah. <laughs> one.
1: So I, I I spent honestly, I spent hours and hours with Uncle Larry. He yeah. was such an amazing soul and a person that was fighting tremendous demons, as well, as you know. Yeah. And and what I remember most about Larry is a couple things. One, he would always carry around this little you know recorder. And he was always working on a book, and the name of the book was "I'll Catch Up on My Sleep When I Die."
0: Yeah. Oh shoot, I forgot right. about that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and so every time I would see Uncle Larry, you know, there were a couple places you would see him. You know, one would be at the bar, right, greeting you at nine a.m. when you're open. Uh, another would be at the the breakfast at the annex, where we did a lot of the kind of the interviewing for the book that he was working on. And, and the the third place was when new guests would arrive. Right. You know, Larry, Uncle Larry would suddenly turn into the the world's most excited suitcase porter. Right. Because he, he would wait for those people to get off that bus ride. And remember, with ply it. Right. People are coming off a three to five hour bus ride, typically from Puerto Riarda Right. They're they're exhausted. Yeah. They've traveled from wherever they get to and, and they hop off the bus and Uncle Larry's looking to see who he wants to meet that week. And he starts lugging suitcases up to the room and, you know, ordering Coronas and carrying handfuls of Coronas. He was he, he was such an amazing person. But what I remember most about Uncle Larry was actually the way he danced. Do You remember that? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I do. I, I just want to interject one thing here because you said he came to see you at the bar at nine, but when I was there like a year after you, he, he'd he come to the power walk, but you, you you forgot one important nugget. It was the way he was dressed. So he would come to the power walk in cowboy boots, a green speedo,
1: black <laughs> leather
0: vest and bolo tie. Okay. This, this is crucial. And I don't think he had slept yet from the, from the disco closing. He just wanted to see if I needed company on the power walk. And I'd be, uh, no, I'm okay, Larry. I'm good. I'm good. Okay. <laughs>
1: And, but and, uh, and, yes, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I say. And don't forget the headband. Oh yes, yeah, the thin and, one. the, thin. the headband would thin, often right? have tucked in it one of those funnels that you could cap the top of a corona to. Yes, chuck.
0: yes, I got one because of him. Like I wanted one after I did my season with him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All well, right. He was. Well, he like, was you, are, are you talking about his dancing where he would slap his hands to his chest and his arm? Are you talking about that dancing or, or another kind?
1: The thing I remember about his dancing, when when Uncle Larry would dance, he was just in his own element and he was in his and he would just be twirling his arms around doing these like they almost like like karate type moves and whirling yeah, okay. around the dance floor. And like that was the, what, what made me kind of so happy about seeing that is that was the moments where he was beyond whatever he was wrestling with and he was just in his element. And so I used to love seeing Larry there. And again, you know, what would typically come after that is I, I used to run the nightclub at Playa. And so oftentimes what would come after that is, you know, me having to carry him back at home and help him back to the room right, at the the night, which wasn't a thing only for him. That was actually a pretty common occurrence.
0: Yeah, I yeah I, I can't believe there's any ex-GO GM listening to this who doesn't know Uncle Larry is. But just for the record, if you don't do not know who Uncle Larry is, he was a a GM that just lived at Club Med Playa Blanca. When Playa closed, he would go live at Cancun, and this is what he did. But I'm I don't know how you would never have heard of him. But yeah, that that was Uncle Larry. So no, he was not a GO, but he uh, and when I met him. I think I was I was sick, right? I got sick for the first time, and then I see this guy introducing himself, going around to all the tables, and he was wearing a white T-shirt. It had his photo and and a photo of the trapeze, and it said "Get Horizontal with Uncle Larry." And I went, "Okay, I gotta talk. I gotta talk to this guy."
1: Okay. <laughs> he he was definitely a club med legend.
0: Yeah, he's a character, right? We all like
1: characters. Absolutely.
0: All right, so playa, so you probably had to do get or get supplies for the margarita ride, the margarita walk, the margarita kayak. Probably had to, you were doing all those then. I'm
1: guessing, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and either getting them, you know, in village. Some of the most exciting and fun memories were actually when we would have to go out of village, and and go in and get to the local distributors if the Corona or Soul delivery wasn't getting it on time, and we had to go you know, wrestle up some more beer, some supplies. So it was a great opportunity to get to know the kind of the, the ins and outs of the areas around Playa as well, which was really cool. And, and as you know, too, right, you have Playa there. And then in that bay, you had these other great things, right? You had, I think it was called the Mirador, which is the the place that they would go the, to have the margarita walks, right? Where people would go and yes, end up. And you mentioned the margarita walk. For those who haven't experienced that at Playa Blanca, I'll, I'll set a little bit of stage. so. When I was there, every Wednesday night was Mexican night in the village. And and as you know, we have these different theme nights. In a Mexican night, it was like this spirit would come into the village, right? Delivered via either tequila or some shoddy batch of mezcal that someone would bring in from the local area. But there was a, I would only way to describe it as some spirit just kind of would come in and enter the village. And... You know, we would line up and we'd send people right from the village over on this margarita walk, typically led by Dan Beeman, who I'm sure you know as well. Yes. And, and people would go from the village over to this Mirador. You know, it was a sushi restaurant slash disco up in the hills there. And they would go of a couple of ways. They could either kayak there, walk or horseback ride. And and going over before people had started drinking, it was fun. People had a great time, whatever route they chose to get there. And then you could definitely hear when they left to come back home. And you knew one of a few things was going to happen. Someone was probably going to go to the hospital, right? Someone was going to need to be rescued because they either fell in a ravine or capsized a boat. And, and without fail, that would happen between the time they left and the time they got back into the village, Right. And then dinner would start. Everyone up in dinner in the restaurant would get shots of tequila. Uh, And then you would just, uh, it was just a big blur, right? People would just wake up Thursday mornings and kind of wondered what happened uh, the night before.
0: Yeah, I remember mostly the the cannonball contest in the pool after the margarita walk. (laughs) Well, yeah, let's talk about that bar. Because I always said that was probably the best situated bar I'd ever seen. And happy hour, because the village was so small, everyone... Everyone hung out, right? I mean, it was the event of the day. I think at five o'clock when I was there, Gio Nancy was ringing a cowbell to bring everyone in and people would just flock to that beautiful round bar, right? I mean, it was a great bar, right?
1: It, it was. It was perfect for the reasons you mentioned. Yeah, we'd ring the bell. Chana would have whipped up some fresh tortillas, guacamole, uh, and, and some other appetizers around the bar. And yeah, I mean, everybody came to that bar to, to hang out happy hour. Uh, and it, w- it was amazing to have that. And, you know, some people, I think, feel more comfortable on the kind of on the, the drink side of the bar, hanging out with the guests. This and that. I always felt more comfortable behind the bar because I-, I loved more operating like a DJ to that happy hour and being able to interact with all the people around that. And so that bar was so perfectly set up for that because of that oval shape that it had.
0: Yes, exactly. What What else do you remember from Playa? What can you tell me?
1: Oh God, so much. So I mean, again, with with the the bartender lifestyle, again, again that reversed schedule whereby we were pretty much free during the days and then and then working at night. So I I also too I there was a great beer bike. I don't know if you had that the season that you were there at Playa as well too. But I would spend the days kind of driving around the beach, you know, selling beers and hanging out and meeting people. Uh, And at nights, doing the same thing at the circus show and things like that. And we had an amazing animator that season. Did you ever meet Adrenaline?
0: No, no, I've heard about him though. Never got to meet him.
1: He was great. You know, so on a weekly basis, you know, you'd just be hanging out by the beach and all of a sudden, this guy dressed in this orange NASA astronaut suit would come walking around the corner where the scuba guys were hanging out, dragging this, you know, big parachute behind him. And, and the guests literally thought that it, there had been some astronaut that had come back down in the ocean and was trying to make his way back to civilization. And, and adrenaline just, he played that part so well. So it, it was great just having him every day doing another thing on the beach. You had him either doing the astronaut or the other thing he'd go down the beach, which you might seem, which is the French waiter, but that doesn't wear any underwear. Right. So you see this wave of kind of laughter moving down the beach and so I, I have just such fond memories of just the daily stuff that was there, and then again, the the team that was there was amazing. So Jason and Kristen were there. Jason doing the Rockwall. There was another amazing friend uh, of Jason. Unfortunately, Alex is no longer with us, but uh, he and Alex were like the the kind of the the, the two amigos down at the Rockwall that that would get stuff going at that end of the village. Uh, And then up at the bar, as you know, you'd have Big Ed, you know, kind of running the show in the mornings. You'd have a group of 30, 40 people doing the water aerobics. And then you'd have Terry taking people out on all of the the walks in and around the village on her power walks. And so it it was just every day at Playa was, I would say, a new adventure, even though, as you know, in the schedule repeats weekly, different cast of characters, different group of GNs coming in. But but the way that Kenton ran the show, uh, I just was amazing. You know, he was at that point in time already a seasoned chef de village. And I think he was the perfect guy for that season in Playa because he knew how to get the GOs to kind of to perform at our best and, and therefore make the atmosphere the best for all the guests that were in the village. So I forget when I first got down to Playa, someone took me aside and they were like, Josh, I just want to, here's the attitude that you need to have here. You know, this is your house. These people are your guests. Have an amazing life and just bring them along with you. And that was the attitude that we took. So it was this amazing experience each week that it was like having, you know, 600 new friends coming out to hang out our house for the week. And I don't know if you had a similar experience like that when you were down there.
0: Well, I that was the first village I opened and closed, and I thought there was always something special about villages when you get to do that.
1: Did you find that as well? Absolutely. Yeah. Be, getting there a few days before opening and, and getting the time just to bond with the GOs was, was an incredible experience. Again, I remember lots of great games of, of I Never or Truth or Dare over at that little bar restaurant in the cove just next to playa and having that period of time to get the village set up and start to bond really made a difference in terms of how the season went
0: indeed indeed so do you remember who the chief of sports was when you were there
1: yes it was terry okay and, uh his last name escapes me i can picture his face what, so clearly what, now
0: was the outdoors? skating rink or hockey outdoor hockey rink there when you got there
1: i, I believe it was that that okay. was what we used we used By that archery. for futsal every day so the most afternoons it was a great soccer game okay that held back in the rink back there
0: and after sandpiper and playa did they get you in any shows the choreographer say hey uh, joshua you look you look like you can dance would you like to do a
1: show or did you manage to avoid that yeah, I actually didn't end up doing any of the shows except we used to put on a Beavis and Butthead kind of mini show. Really? Um, outside. Yeah, there's a guy named Mark who was in animation and me. I was Beavis, he was Butthead or vice versa, I don't remember so clearly. But yeah, we'd put on these mini shows. It was, do you remember when they used to do the improv shows yes. sometimes like it, yes. it was that kind of setup so sometimes i would do the improv shows sometimes we do this beavis and butthead one but i never got pulled into the the full production and i i thank john rodriguez for not pulling me in on that oh was john the choreographer john was yeah john was the choreographer okay. for that season. I,
0: I worked with him and big ed and turks the season right before that okay Cool. Yeah, John,
1: again, John, what an amazing person, amazing soul. And he was, I mean, he was it for animation. He was amazing. The shows that he put on yeah. were really out of this world. And uh, I, I've got to mention, too, I don't know if you've ever met, but did you ever meet someone by the name of Salvatore? Yes. Uh, yeah. Cortez? Uh, Salvatore,
0: the traffic geo Salvatore Cortez? Uh, was he traffic uh, geo? No, This was
1: a tall Italian guy that with the oh, hair okay. like Fabio from the romance novels.
0: Oh no, I don't think I've met him. And, no.
1: Yeah, he he was amazing. And He would. Uh, I think John uh, had a lot of fun uh, with him in the shows there.
0: Okay, so was do you know if John was doing the Taboo show in Playa? You know, I'm I'm not sure. What was
1: the Taboo show?
0: It was kind of like a lot of music by Janet Jackson and and Madonna. You know, uh, from that that time period, the early nineties. Yeah. lots of Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: I'm not sure if he was doing that. Well, did you ever get,
0: did you ever get thrown into crazy signs? I mean, they didn't talk to you about it in your interview. Did you, did you even have a favorite one? Did you like them? Uh, I I, I
1: love doing crazy signs. Yeah. So I, I would, unless there was something urgent that kept me from coming outside of the bar and getting down there, I I would be out there doing the crazy signs each night. Uh, And, you know, and again, just that, that time period, you know, right before the show and right after the show because of the layout of Playa was great, right? Because you're sitting at the bar there, it's packed, people go into the show, people come out, they're drinking, and then you can kind of steer the crowd, you know, into the club, which was just a couple of steps away to keep the party going. So actually, John Rodriguez had a lot of, call it, mini shows that he would do in the disco also at night, which was a really cool setup just to kind of keep the mood and the vibe going after all of the main show stopped. Yeah. Rest
0: in peace, John,
1: for sure. Yeah. 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 He was amazing. real amazing person. Yeah. And, and the other stuff, you know, with Ply that was a really incredible was the I think the areas surrounding it. So getting to know some of the people that had homes in the hills, you know, those pastel mansions. You know, oh, yes. The hills. It was great just to be able to go up and have some parties there and then having the the Bel Air hotel you know, in the Cove was really nice as well, because a lot of the staff and chefs from the Bel Air would come over. So we get to know them pretty well. So it wasn't uncommon on a night off, you know, to go over there and have a nice meal at the Bel Air and spend some time relaxing by the pool or doing those kinds of things. And it, it was great because a lot of the people that worked at the Bel Air got really close with a lot of us GOs there. So it was like this really nice community that almost kind of ran the resort in that Cove there. So again, another one of the things that I think perhaps made Playa so magical.
0: Exactly. Yes. All right, Joshua. So after, after the season in Playa, now I think you might've been offered response that bar in in St. Lucia and the, but you didn't think after that season in Playa that it could get any better. Can you just talk me through that a little bit?
1: Exactly right. Yeah. I got offered the chef de bar for St. Lucia and yeah, the, That was exactly what I was trying to figure out. It was that, was there a way to spend another six months or a year, you know, in the club, in any club that could come anywhere near the experience I had with Playa? And at the end of the day, I didn't think I could get anywhere near the kind of the magical season that was coming to an end there. So I decided at that point in time to leave the club and uh, went back home, threw on a backpack, cruised around Europe. For a couple of months, uh, and then I moved over to Japan.
0: Okay. So you, you have to break this down, taught Spanish in Tokyo to Japanese salsa dancers, there's never been a greater sentence ever written,
1: How, how's this happened? So, and by the way, that, that story has probably helped me more in, in all areas of life than any other well, story I've ever related. I think sure. it helped me get into it, business school it, and all kinds of other places. This place. is
0: the story we would tell at Liars Club in Club Ed, where yes. one per- there was one, one person out of three was telling the truth for sure. This one was, oh no, he's lying. Right. But no, it's not a lie. You, you actually did this. Right.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. So so I moved over to Tokyo and and at that period of time right the, the easy job for anyone coming that's English speaker was to teach English, right? There were tens of thousands of people that had moved to Tokyo at this time that were teaching English. And uh, I was coming home one day just walking down the street and I just heard this salsa music blaring out of this nondescript entryway there. So curiosity got the best of me. I peeked inside and And what I discovered, yeah, it was a salsa dance contest. It was actually sponsored by the Cuban embassy. And the music was amazing. The dancers were phenomenal. And all of the dancers happened to be Japanese. And and so after watching this for about a half hour, I was just so amazed by their performance. I started talking to a couple of the dancers. And just the idea just popped in my head. I said, listen, you're so great at dancing. You obviously love the music. Do you have any interest in learning Spanish? Uh, and yeah, they, they jumped at the opportunity. So initially I, I was thinking, you know, this is great. I'll have a few, you know, private clients that I can teach Spanish to. But uh, that same week I happened to get introduced to someone who was putting together an article on language teachers for a magazine that was called Hanako. Now Hanako was the Japanese equivalent essentially of cosmopolitan magazine. So tremendous readership in and around Tokyo Long story short, they ended up featuring me in this edition that they put out. So it had a picture, a description of what I do, the fact that I was a Spanish teacher, which was unique at that period of time, uh, and and my phone number. And and so the phones just started ringing off the hook the moment this thing hit the press. Um, And as you might imagine, there were a few more people that wanted to learn Spanish, but the vast majority of people actually just wanted to learn English. So it ended up just being an amazing marketing piece Uh, amazing introduction to Tokyo and and it really kind of launched my stay in Tokyo because instead of having to go a more traditional path to teach languages there which involves going to some of the language schools that were set up in the country or participating in a program that was called JET that would take language speakers and teach them and then put them into rural schools I basically just had this built-in business that just caught fire from my third or fourth week in Japan so it was great. I ended up becoming very close to some of these salsa dancers, uh, and it was a great way to kind of kickstart uh, my time living over there.
0: Cool. Thank you for sharing that. Now, let's go back to Club Ed, if we can. I was wondering, you mentioned a lot of names, so I was just curious, the people that you enjoyed working with, did we leave anyone else?
1: Well, yeah. For, I'll say, first of all, apologies to anyone I did leave out because there are, there are more people that, that I would have time to mention and, and more names that aren't just top of mind nowadays. But, you know, in, in the days of, of Sandpiper, you know, is really a Patrick and, and Kevin Bat and Terry Herbert and Ramon Franco and a Playa and numerous other people that were just amazing in sandpiper and in the days of playa you know we mentioned a few of them that you know as well too so kenton was amazing ed matt terry jason Kristen, alex hector armando pj tim uh, my other bar mates robin neil and then sharon lou alfredo another guy who worked with us in the bar and again my my uh greetings go out to anyone who might be hearing this uh if i if i haven't mentioned you by name just know you you're in my thought and in my heart and uh it was just a, a tremendous experience. So, I, you know, Club Med for me, and I would imagine it might have been for you and, and many of the other people that might hear this, it, it was just a real pivotal moment in, in my life overall, right? To have that kind of experience uh, that is so unique and so demanding in one regard, right? The work schedules could be brutal, but so incredible in the other regards in terms of the the people, the stimulation, the speaking in a few languages, the ability to see parts of the world you never see, um, just really extremely grateful. You know that I was able to have that experience.
0: All, All right, you mentioned you like the crazy signs. Now, is there one that stands out? Because I'm just curious. Like now, when we we've, we've left Club Med, we got that one song, and then we hear it in the grocery store or the bank, and it's like, oh, this, I used to dance to this. And then, do you ever start dancing or singing De- Definitely,
1: definitely, hands up. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I would rank as my favorite. And then, uh, okay. you know, I, I've also I've, I've got. A family now and, and three boys ranging from 17 down to six. And so I've I've had the good fortune to take them back as GMs now okay. to some of the club meds. And that's just been an incredible experience to kind of you know pass down to the next generation the love of the club. So we, we had a great opportunity. We actually went to chariting in Malaysia. Oh wow several years ago and and had the nicest surprise. And that is when I showed up there. Eduardo Rojas, who I had worked with in Playa Blanca, was the chef de Village. Are you serious? I had no idea he was still in the club or that Whoa. he would be there. And we just showed up halfway around the world to be greeted by Eduardo, which was such a great kind of Playa Blanca reunion as well as a, a great kind of I would say indication of, of the club and how certain people, you know, build their lives inside of it. Um so we had the the great experience to go there. We we went to to Guadalupe. And before it closed, they actually took my family about a year ago uh, up to Sandpiper. So it oh, was okay. great to, to take them after all these years. It was great to bring them and just uh, walk them through the village and, and to reminisce, you know, about the times uh, that I had spent there. So the Club Med's become a very important part of our lives and to the point where the kids, too, when they hear the, the crazy signs, if we'll put them on to uh, it, it's now passed to the next generation.
0: Did any of you your kids express interest in maybe working there one day?
1: So my oldest, he's 17 now, would be a perfect Geo. So I I, it is definitely in the back of my mind. I have not really discussed that with him in depth yet, but I would not be surprised at all if he chooses to go down that path.
0: Okay. This is another somewhat silly question, but I, I can't stop. Uh, dreaming about Club Med, I don't go to bed thinking about Club Med, but I have this recurring dream. So just curious, sometimes I ask this question, do you have a recurring dream where you're still working at Club Med behind the bar?
1: You know, a few years after leaving the club, I would sometimes wake up with this panic that I was late for a shift. Yes, yes.
0: <laughs> same with me, but it's something, there's always something that's not being done and you're stressing, right? In your dream, totally. you can't even enjoy it in your dream. Oh, wow, okay, that's wild.
1: I okay. totally <laughs> would have that, right? Because, I mean, you remember, right? The, the days were long, the nights were long and, and sleep was short. And so it, it wasn't you know, infrequent at Playa Blanca that I would be in the deepest of deep sleep when I would have to go maybe for happy hour right and run the bar and and so i I, it probably didn't happen more than a time or two that i actually showed up late but definitely for a period of time after leaving the club i would sometimes wake up feeling like i was late for that shift (laughs) we can't even enjoy it in our sleep (sighs) yeah and and the other the other recurring thing that comes to mind which has actually been a i would say a, a driving soundtrack for my life you know this is going back to sandpiper jack england used to always say, you don't get old and get stiff. If you get stiff, you are old. And and that was something that has driven me for years in terms of staying in good physical condition, because I I remember that kind of mantra over and over and over again. So while it doesn't show up in my dreams anymore, uh, it does still play a kind of a prominent role that does show up in my thoughts from time to time.
0: Yeah. Well, the way you speak at them, he reminds me of that uh, that Clint East, famous Clint would quote when someone asks him, how are you still you know, directing at your age? How do you do it? And he's like, I don't let the old man in. So th- this sounds like <laughs> Jack and uh, Clint were cut from the same cloth.
1: <laughs> and, and by the way, that voice that you just used wasn't so far off. Oh, really?
0: OK, OK. <laughs> I'd never met him. OK, <laughs> so sad.
1: <laughs> Ch- channeling Jack there. <laughs>
0: Wow, this has been amazing, uh, Joshua. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us.
1: No, thank you for having me. And it's been a real pleasure, you know, over the last several weeks to get to know you some as well, too. I really appreciate all you do here and giving us a voice and keeping this community, you know, together. I'm very grateful to you for that.
0: Well, thank you, sir. Really appreciate it. And uh, again, thanks for sharing your, your story and uh, very kind of you to, to come on. So and uh, here's where we're going to say goodbye to all the people listening to us. So thank you, listeners. Josh, give them a shout out. Thank you, everyone. All right. That was Joshua Bernstein. We'll see you all next week. Bye.